Our epistle reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and we will reassure our hearts before Him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey His commandments and do what what pleases Him. And this is His commandment that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. All who obey His commandments abide in Him, and He abides in them. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit that He has given us. May the Lord bless the reading of this living Word, and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to You, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Esse quam videre. If you are a student of Latin or a child of the, of the Tar Heel State, you will know that that means to be rather than to seem. To be rather than to seem might also be a description of the resurrected Jesus we saw in Luke's story last week. He was not a ghost, but a real person with a real body that came to the disciples. It was really Jesus of Nazareth who they saw before them. Still bearing the wounds of the cross in His hands and in His feet and eating a piece of broiled fish right in front of them something that no ghost nor mere spirit could ever do. To be rather than to seem might also be the thesis statement of the first epistle of John. He was writing to a community in Ephesus 70 years after the death of Jesus to assert that God really did put on flesh, that He really died on the cross, and that He was really raised up in a real human body. For there were other so-called teachers who had broken away from the church and begun teaching that Jesus only seemed to be human, that Jesus only seemed to suffer and die, and that Jesus only seemed to be raised up in a real human body. What we were seeing was a spirit, a vision, but not a real person. This teaching was called docetism, from the Greek doke, which means to seem. The church argued about docetism until 325 at the Council of Nicaea, where they officially declared that Jesus was fully human and fully divine, and that docetism was a heresy, meaning it was a teaching contrary to the truth of the gospel. 
But John is also concerned about something else. Those who only seem to be followers of Jesus, professing His name in word and speech, but not in action or in truth. At first glance, it might not seem that these two things are related. Docetism seems to be kind of an esoteric theological problem, whereas uh, Christians who only seem to be Christian because of what they say and what they think, but not because of what they do, seems to be an ethical problem. But if you really think about it, the two things go together. Earlier in his letter, in verse 6 of chapter 2, John writes, Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk as he did. And if you don't believe that Jesus' feet got tired as he walked dusty roads to heal the sick and the blind and the lame, or that he didn't risk real bodily harm when he touched the lepers and the demon-possessed, and if you don't believe that Jesus felt real pain as he gave his body to be bound and led to be whipped and nailed to a cross, then the resurrection is just a nice idea that doesn't require you to put any skin in the game. It means that you can go to church and sing the songs and hear the sermons and hang up your Christian life to be pressed and starched in the closet like your Sunday clothes. It means that the call to follow Jesus can be watered down to comforting yourself with spiritual ideas and defending purely intellectual doctrines, all without having any good news for that child who will go to school tomorrow without breakfast. And that, my friends, is just as much of a heresy, just as much of a threat to the gospel as docetism ever was. As Brennan Manning said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is, what is, um, this, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In verse John, 16, John writes, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. We would prefer for this laying down of our lives to be a one-time heroic action of a soldier who lays down his life for his brothers in combat, or a heroine who pushes a child away from a speeding bus. We tell ourselves that we would have what it takes to rise up to this kind of occasion and thank God for those heroes and heroines. But what John makes clear in the next sentence is that he is talking about Jesus' call to each and every one of us to lay down our lives slowly by the minute and the hour and the day in the most inglorious ways. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? The Greek makes this even starker. John isn't talking about luxuries, but the necessities of life. The uncomfortable truth is that John is talking to all of us. All of us in this room have the basic necessities of life. 
And all of us have been guilty in one way or another of refusing to help our sister or our brother in need. There have been countless times in my life when I've been walking downtown or stopped at a light, getting off the highway, and I had money in my pocket, and I did not give it to someone who was asking for it. And I know that that's complicated, and that's not always the best way to help. But I also didn't take the time to get to know them and their story and take them to buy something to eat or try to fill their need in a way that I could have. And even worse, there have been times when I've refused to even make eye contact, to even acknowledge that this person in front of me is a human being that's asking something of me. And worse still, there have been many times where I have not helped a friend or a loved one or neighbor, someone who I knew very, very well, who had some need that just disrupted my plans or were somehow inconvenient for me. And I know that as I see you nodding, that you've been in those places too. And it would be tempting to stop there, to make this a sermon, a, a challenge for us to give away more of our stuff, more of our money, more of our time and our resources to those who need it the most. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. You and me giving more to our neighbors in need would be a practical way for us to be obedient to Jesus that would change the lives of our neighbors in real ways. It would be a continuation of God's putting on flesh first in Christ and now in Christ in us. As St. Teresa of Avila wrote 500 years ago, Christ has no body but yours. Yours are the feet with which He walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which He blesses the world. But to stop there would be like putting a band-aid on a wound from the cancer that is killing from within. It would make us feel good and do some small good in the lives of our neighbors, but it wouldn't treat the underlying issue. Teresa also said, Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks on the world with compassion. The evidence of Jesus working in our lives is not just words and it's not just even action itself, but what John calls truth. What I would describe as authenticity. A genuine compassion that drives our action. If we go back to the Greek of verse 17, we see that this is less about what we do or we don't do and more about the posture of our hearts. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the basic necessities of life and sees a brother or sister without the basic necessities of life and closes their heart? That's what the Greek literally says. Jesus blesses the world through the good we do out of guilt or out of, uh, out of obligation or out of hard obedience. But what He really desires is to open our hearts so that His compassion can flow through us. In the biblical worldview, one of the greatest tragedies of the human condition is something called a hardened heart. You might remember the story of Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh's hardened heart that caused spiritual and physical death. It was Pharaoh's hardened heart that refused to release the children of Israel from slavery, even at the cost of everything that was lost and all of the plagues and every firstborn child of Egypt and all the soldiers that were swept away in the Red Sea. 
But we have to realize that this is not a story about Pharaoh. This is a story about us too. That when we are wounded by others, that when we are wounded by life, which happens to all of us, that we can let the pain and fear close us off like a callus to protect us from blistering and bleeding again. We can close ourselves off and remain distant and ignore the pain all around us so that we don't get hurt. And they say that the best defense is a good offense, so often we hurt others proactively so that we can protect ourselves. Father James Keenan notices that Jesus confronts this hardness of heart all the time in the Gospels. And he says something I think that's helpful. He says, for Jesus to sin is not to be weak and to try and to fail, but to be strong and not to bother. For Jesus, sin is a failure to bother to love. Or we can make a different choice, a sacrificial choice. We can try and fail as we bother to love. We can open our hearts knowing that they will feel pain, but also knowing that feeling pain is the only way to compassion. When Judah, my son, tells me that I made his heart hurt, or when he hits his head on the playground and he collapses in my arms in tears, I feel like my guts are going to burst. Parents always say it hurts more for the parent than it does for the child, and that is literally how I feel. It's also literally true that compassion in the Greek of the New Testament could be translated as a busting of the gut, as a bursting from within. Opening our hearts and knowing that we will be hurt is the only way to truly love. Our counterpart to Pharaoh is Jesus' mother Mary, who said to the angel, let it be according to your word. She literally opened her whole self to God. To the agony of pregnancy and childbirth, but also to the task of mothering, capital L, love into the world. And when Jesus was dedicated in the temple as a baby, Elder Simeon looked at her and said, a sword will pierce your soul too. It is no accident that our word for courage comes from the Latin core, meaning heart. Our hardened hearts don't have to condemn us. We can have the courage of Mary to be, the broken, be broken open like she did if we are willing to feel that kind of pain. John is telling us that if we really want to be Christians, literally little Christ, it's not just that we have to help our neighbors in need, it's not, it's, but that we have to open our hearts to love them like He did. Or maybe more accurately, we have to let Jesus break our hearts open for our neighbors, just as Jesus allowed Himself to be broken open for the sake of the world. That is why we packed 7,000 servings of oatmeal for God's storehouse yesterday morning through Harvest Pack. That is why the Friday crew came to put together boxes and to put stickers on and to color. That is why our youth gathered from across the city yesterday at Mission Madness to worship and to build friendships and to pack 8,000 more servings of oatmeal and to highlight those verses in the Bible for Transitions Pregnancy Center that Jennifer talked about. 
That is why when they get a rain-free Sunday, the youth are going to go to uh, Grace and Main's community farm to dig ditches and pull weeds. That is why we continue to give together to the West Main Mission offering year after year after year. Yes, it's because Jesus calls us to feed the hungry and to house the homeless and to visit the incarcerated and support the pregnant and scared and to pay the salary of a special education teacher in Romania and to help families work to own their own affordable homes and put on the roof over their head and the many, many other things that we do with our time and our sweat and our money and our relational energy. These gospel proclamations stand by themselves. They tell the good news. But the bigger reason that we do all of this is that through serving these, seeing these needs, through serving these people, through meeting these needs, Jesus wants to draw us deeper into His own heart for the world so that it might be broken open in anguish and in suffering so that we can love like He did. He wants to draw us in so that we can feel what He felt and He feels. Not just giving our money or giving our Saturdays to missions, but waking up every morning wondering how we might be on mission with Jesus. Always asking what Martin Luther King Jr. called the most pressing question of life. What am I doing for others? What am I doing for others? It's not a legalistic to-do list, but a lifestyle of love with Jesus. But you know what? The sermon doesn't stop here either. Because there's more. And this is really, really important. In Matthew 25, Jesus speaks to those who He calls the sheep. Those who have been separated from the goats at the end of time. Those who have been found to be rather than to seem to be His followers. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these members of this family of mine, you did it to me. It's not just that they walked as Jesus walked. It's not just that they followed Jesus in truth and in action, doing the things that He did, but that they actually met the presence of Jesus in the person that they were helping. That Jesus was the one who was thirsty. That Jesus was the, one, the stranger, the naked, the sick. That Jesus was in prison. My question this morning is, what if Jesus is still in all of those places and in all of those people? And in places and people like that throughout our city and around this world. We have tended to think of mission trips and mission projects as I have Jesus in my heart and I'm bringing Jesus to someone else 
But what if we're going to meet Jesus where Jesus is already is? Where the Christ in me can meet the Christ in that person? What if in our giving that we're opening our hearts so that we can find Jesus a little bit more? John finishes this part of the letter by saying, and this is His commandment, that we should believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Now you might notice that John says, this is the commandment, and then he gives two commandments. I don't think John made a mistake here. I think for John, loving one another is believing in Jesus. Because try as we might, we can't break those two things apart. Sisters and brothers, as you go, open your heart. Let it break. I know that it's hard to see all the suffering and pain of this world because we have so much suffering and pain in our own lives already. But go from this place ready to love, ready to give your money, your time, your attention, yourself to those who need it, not because you can earn the love of Jesus or because you can validate yourself or because you can save the world all by yourself, but because you want to know more of the love of Jesus whose heart breaks for this world. Open your heart and let it break. Let it lead you to give to those in need because you want to love the Jesus whose heart breaks for you. Open your heart and let it break because though it seems like you're talking to someone who needs food or housing or friendship, someone who is struggling in ways that are hard to understand, you are really being asked for help by Jesus. Amen.